You're listening to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Like the show? Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash nygbc. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Hello, and welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Because if we don't, we get the hose again. My name is Kevin, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Benedict, the UK's foremost paint wax mod. Benedict! You ever grown a vegetable? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the joke's on I you, because I don't know what paint wax I is. I was waiting for you. See, it, obviously, it's a bald spot. It's a bald spot. That's okay. my understanding. I have, I have a big, I have a big one because, of Because, well, you know, when I'm running short on time and need a quick joke to make fun of you, I go to the bald stuff. It's easy material. Fair enough. It's lazy, it's I will It's the admit. only thing... It's the only thing I can be made fun of. I will right. absolutely so. admit is the laziest <laughs> way to make fun of you. It's very easy. Yeah. But it's, yeah, that thing. You've never easy. heard that bald, the old monk thing with the bald spot? They call it a bald paint. I'm... Pfft. Sure. It sure. strikes I, me as more of a Britishism, so I thought you would get it. It does, yeah. No, I think... Well, I, I try and... I've blocked... I've blacklisted all world, words to do with baldness <laughs> from my vocabulary, so... You've, ca- you've cancelled baldness. Uh, L- literally, yeah. I've, I've... What's it called? Muted. Yeah. I've muted baldness from my timeline. Yes. Well, anyway, Benedict, have you ever grown a vegetable? That was the question you uh, you uh, got cut off, cut me off in when I was you, trying to ask. Sorry, you you left a very long pause, yeah. and I can never remember if you do the "How are you today?" No. on this version of this podcast. So I'm like, should I, don't I say care. something? Should I not? I don't care no, how I you know. are today. That's fine, but you used to yeah. ask on old uh, on podcasts of yore. You used to ask <laughs> how I am today, and now my first reaction is to wait for you to ask that, and then I'm like, shit, does he ask that still? And then I panic, <laughs> and then I try and be funny in the middle, and then normally it ends up cutting you off, and I think it happens pretty much every time, honestly. But have I ever grown a vegetable? Mm, successfully, no. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to I tried to grow a tomato once, but that's technically a fruit, though I don't know if it is. It's here. a ve- look, I, I I am not one to get caught up in the vegetable versus fruit tomato argument. But isn't it legally? Isn't it legally? There's one that's legally. A if you recall, here, in, in podcasts a... of yore, we did once have this discussion because I believe it came uh-huh. up um, with someone who was writing a book saying Democrats say that tomatoes are a blabbity blue. And so I think I remember having to look it up once. And it was like referencing yeah. a, a tariff schedule from like the yeah, 1970s that had to do with tariffs on tomatoes. So they classified it in a certain way so they could get the tariffs that they wanted. And it's like, okay. I think I think botanically it's a fruit, but everyone treats it like a vegetable. So it got legally classed as a vegetable for this decision. Also, it might not have been tomatoes even, <laughs> honestly, but there's a fruit that got classed as a vegetable for some reason. Okay, so long story short, no, you have never grown a vegetable. No. <laughs> never grown a vegetable. Never grown a vegetable. I tried in a greenhouse once and then I think just got impatient in the end and was like, let's destroy the greenhouse <laughs> so that's that's how that went also just like 
northern England, not the best for growing <laughs> vegetables, generally, especially vegetables that are delicious that you would want to eat. Like, fine for parsnips, but I, I, yeah, I've like... seen British cuisine, and let me tell you, no, <laughs> you're not, you're not strong on it's. It's a bunch of meat pies, as far as I can tell. Meat pies are delicious. Let's not mess around with I'm meat not going to mess around with meat pies. I'm just saying, uh, you know that I do these meals with groups of my friends. Obviously, I haven't been able to do one mm-hmm. recently. But, you know, every two or three weeks, I have, you know, 15 or ish people over to my place uh, and the roof of my building. I, I, make, I make a ton of food, bring it all up there, and people come over. We drink. We have food. And I try to theme all of my meals around a different mm. region or a different style, right? I'll do, like, southern cuisine or I'll do, you know, traditional uh, Texas barbecue, stuff like that. Uh-huh. But I tried once with British food. I, I won't say I didn't try with what British did you food. Make? No, that's the problem. I didn't because I went on one of my usual websites to look up recipes, which is allrecipes.com. Most people who cook a lot know about it. And I looked at their I'm familiar with allrecipes.com. <laughs> Thank you. I looked at their British section and I could not uh-huh. find one single thing I wanted to make or eat. Okay. I'm going to send you a meat pie recipe after this. <laughs> Fine. First of all, delicious Fine. meat pies. Toad in the hole, also delicious. Weird sounding thing, <laughs> but delicious. It's also it's like sausages and Yorkshire pudding with gravy, like British brown gravy, which is weird. It's also strange that you. you name pudding wrong. It's, that's a whole different deal, though. Yeah, that's a whole different thing. That nev- never mind, <laughs> never mind all that. Uh, fish and chips, also fucking delicious. Yeah, who doesn't like Amazing. fish and chips? I don't. But is that even yeah, really exactly. a British recipe, or is that an everywhere recipe? Well, fish and chips is definitely... Well, okay. So here's the thing. Most British food we stole exactly. from somewhere else. <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> Because if you were being honest right now, you would say the best the best British recipe is chicken tikka. That, well, that was exa- actually invented in England, but it was invented by with, yeah. South Asian immigrants. And with spices stolen from the region. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, stolen, yeah. That's probably yeah, the right Yeah, I'll be honest it, here. But, yeah, you know... Let's let's be honest about our colonial past. Um, <laughs> the fish and chips was actually invented by Jewish immigrants. Uh, it's it's a like it's a Jewish dish originally. Apparently, see, not so even I'm British. Told. Although that's anti-Semitic well, I mean, sounding. The Jews can be British. <laughs> that is anti-Semitic. Let's not do that. Well, the implication <laughs> of immigrants is that they brought it from where they were. That was yeah, what I was they getting. did. I mean, yeah. it's a it's a cultural like exactly. Jewish thing. Apparently, from from where they and were, everybody loves fish and chips. How are you? What what is your position on malt vinegar with fish and chips? Oh, strongly necessary. Pro. Yes, has strongly to be pro, or HP sauce, which I don't know if you're familiar with, but it, it's it's like a less vinegary steak sauce and thicker. Ooh. That, that sounds sense. interesting. I've never tried it. Never it's heard good. of it. But that sounds interesting. We call it HP sauce or brown sauce or also daddy's sauce, which is weirdly sexual <laughs> and I don't enjoy. <laughs> I, I do think I've heard the name daddy's sauce before, but that was in an entirely different context. <laughs> and one I don't think is fair to share with our listeners. But anyway, that's oh it for this uh, this Can episode of Not, not Your Grandmother's Cooking book? Club. <laughs> I hate this book. Yes. Just do this? <laughs> <laughs> so Benedict, uh, I guess it's time to get going with this. Um, first, um, first, uh, a welcome to our newest patrons. Three new patrons who joined over the last couple weeks. Uh, hi guys. Hi. You'll regret that soon. <laughs> <laughs> when you hear the patron-only episode, we're recording right after this, <laughs> yep. where I'm going to be talking about comic books, which I'm excited for. I finally let Kevin off the leash. <laughs> yes. So. 
Just so everyone is aware, if you're interested, if you want to go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. Uh, after we're done with this episode, we will be recording a brand new patron-only bonus episode because, uh, if, if many of you recall, six months ago, I purchased for Benedict Watchmen, the graphic novel, one of the greatest ever written. Yeah. And uh, he's nodding. He's nodding in agreement. I can tell you. I can verify. I he's nodding. Uh, and I was I was agreeing with the fact that you purchased it. <laughs> <laughs> that is undeniably uh, true. You're welcome for your Christmas present. Uh, Thank you. But but it took him six months to read it. And if you've gone back and listened to the earlier uh, chapters of our book review here, the newest episode, the oldest episodes, uh, I was continually asking him when he was ever going to read the damn thing, uh, which took a while. To be fair, I did then read it in two days once I started it. You did. You did, which yeah. I have to give you credit for. because it's it, And also, yeah. it's a fantastic read, so how could you not? Yeah. I mean, we'll talk about it on the show, but I think I read it in a little bit of a different way than you. But yeah, mm-hmm. tune into the Patreon episode to, to find out. And it's strange because we're reading something that's actually good <laughs> rather than something that's terrible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't hate it. <laughs> but we'll be discussing that over there. So if you want to hear that, you have to become a patron for as little as $2 an episode. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash NYGBC, blah, 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 blah. You've heard it a thousand times. You know where to go. Uh, also, I should note uh, that we have the Facebook page up and running, which I oh. never mentioned <laughs> because I despise Facebook. Uh, but I am a little self-conscious. But since this chat is about social media. <laughs> I'm a little self-conscious that there's so few people over there on the Facebook page as opposed to our Twitter followers. And I'm like, oh, I guess I got to like promote it or something. So you can find it, NYGBC. Uh, you know how to search on Facebook, that, that cesspool. And it doesn't even, my, my hatred of Facebook doesn't even have anything to do with Mark Zuckerberg and all the, the bullshit he does. I just don't like the platform. I just don't find it enjoyable. Yeah, it, I mean, it's also a different demographic of, of platform. Boomer centric. Uh, in that it, it is more aged. Mm-hmm. There's nothing against and, any uh, boomer gen- listeners. Generally, nothing against. Generally more right wing. Yeah, and than it's, it's a pro- it's problematic. Twitter. It's a problematic space. Uh, but anyways, why don't we get on with this week's episode? Starting off with Benedict. What's on your bookshelf? On my bookshelf, well, I have a good one for you this week. Actually, it is your TV uh, because you're moving. Thing. You're moving things around. Yes. You're you're reorganizing I'm not moving house. The space. I'm just, yeah, indeed. Not on the bookshelf <laughs> though. Uh, it's going on the mantle, actually. For those for those <laughs> interested. Um, no, so this week, uh, you are you familiar with Michael Lewis, the I guess investigative journalist. I am not. Okay, so do you know the Big Shorts? Actually. I don't know if you can see it, but it is behind me on the shelf right there. So, uh, yes. Well, if, you, if you'd like to look at the author uh, of that book, that is yes. Michael Lewis. Okay, I'm bad with <laughs> names, so that's... I can, that's I've, fine. I, there's the book. I didn't remember the name. I apologize. Okay. Anyway, that's not the book, although you should also read the big short. Uh, the book is called The Fifth Risk, and it's about... Essentially, it's described in the, the, one of the blurbs on the back as like a love letter to the deep state. <laughs> Which is an interesting way to describe something, but it's it's basically how the Trump t- transition team in 2016 just didn't fill any of the crucial positions uh, in the I think it's the Department of Energy, the Department of Agriculture, and the Department of Commerce. Name a department. They didn't fill any of them. Yeah, no, but I mean, it looks specifically at those yeah. crucial ones, and then it's like, hey, the Department of Energy. You might not know this, but that's the ones that look after all the weapons grade plutonium. <laughs> that we have and make sure it doesn't fall into rogue hands. And then, yeah, it talks about how they, they did fill the positions with cronies essentially that, and, and took advantage of people's goodwill that are basically career 
diplomats who don't get praised enough, not career, career bureaucrats. That sounds like it should be a negative thing based on how we talk about bureaucrats, but actually, like, they do so much yeah. for, like, so little recognition, it's it's really unfair. And, like, paid very little compared to their private sector counterparts, but make things possible that would never be possible. So, like, solar energy only really exists because the government was like, we're going to subsidize this until it's a viable business, essentially. And lost a bunch of money giving loans to to people to develop solar technology that they would never otherwise have invest, invested in, and now it's a viable business that capitalism is getting all the See, credit. See Elon for. Musk. Whereas, exactly <laughs> where where none of those things would exist were it not for the initial investment from huge government loans, basically for people to do trial and error science, basically. So anyway, read the book. It's really short. It's like 250 pages and it does, it's like a third on each department where they just have set them up for failure. And it's really interesting. Excellent suggestion. Excellent. Thank you. What is your <laughs> suggestion, Kevin? What's on your bookshelf? I am suggesting this week, Runaways, Volume 1 by Brian K. Vaughn, another comic book, uh, okay. which I recently, I read, I read long ago and I recently picked back up and it stands the test of time, even though it's, I think, like seven or eight years old. It's not that old fantastic story and it does one of those things that i think marvel comics does better than just about any other company out there that's making comic books is that they focus so much on connecting with the internal issues that characters are dealing with and i think that's what that book in particular and brian k vaughn's a fantastic writer um i think that's one of the things that that book in particular does so amazingly well uh there is a hulu series um that was is an adaptation which is uh eh, i watched it it's not bad is it same name? Same name, and it follows the story almost to a T. I mean, there's changes made for, you know, doing a, a television show. And, you know, with low-budget-ish stuff like that, they can't spend the kind of money that you would need for special effects to really make it wow you. But they do a good mm -hmm. enough job. And, you know, that sort of technology's coming along well enough that, that it's it's... You can make a decent TV show these days with some pretty good special effects that we're not, it wouldn't be like the sci-fi shows from the early 2000s that we still <laughs> laugh about, right? It's not Babylon 5 spaceship outside shot. It's not that. So, okay. there's good stuff out there. But check out, okay. check out Runaways. Really fantastic story. Great writing. Really connects you to the characters. Uh, and, and thoroughly enjoyable, I would say. All right. Sounds good. All right. Maybe I'll check it out. I probably won't, but I will try. So it is time to return to our book review of Triggered by Donald Trump Jr., the man whose picture appears next to the German dictionary entry for Backfeigenschleit. <laughs> we, we just went over this five minutes ago, and I've already forgotten how it's pronounced. Backfeigengesicht. Backfeigengesicht. Yes, that is correct. Uh, which uh, some Bowden will Google, but I will, I will ruin the joke by explaining that is the German word for a face in need of slapping. <laughs> yep, that is his face indeed. And, uh, would you say he has the most backfife and gazicht mm, face? I mean, Jacob Wall is Trump. up there. Uh, yeah. er I mean, Eric Trump, obviously. Mud. I feel like Eric. Eric, though, isn't as smarmy looking. He's more dumb That's looking. That's true. Nah, it's the okay. smarminess, right. I think, that encapsulates that concept. Okay. Mm. Okay. I, yeah, I, I appreciate so, that. So, Benedict, okay. what do we read this week? This week, we read the continuation of Daddy Issues in print by Donald J. Trump Jr. 
which again sees him literally comparing himself negatively to his dad at various points in the chapter. He cannot He's like, I got a million that. followers. Always. It's so weird. Like dad had seven million followers and I had a million. <laughs> like, so yes, you are seven times less good than your father at everything. Well, and I should mention, You're right, th- so this is the first episode we recorded close to when it's going to be released in, in a, I don't know, about a month and a half now. Uh, because the yeah. last um, triggered episode we did was before Benedict was going off to visit his in-laws, and so we recorded that a couple weeks in advance. And you know we haven't seen That's each other true. in a while, so we've been on we've been on this call for a while now, just chatting, catching up, yeah. shooting the shit, as it were. That's um, it. But so because we're more recent now, I can say this without having to feel like it's going to be a dated reference. Because just last week, Donald Trump Jr. did that insane interview with his father which was oh, yeah. so psychopathically strange and depressing yeah. on. on so many levels <laughs> can we just say before before we get into that that it is the official policy of the not your grandmother's book club podcast that black lives matter i feel like we should make that yes incredibly and, and benedict <laughs> if you listened to this show which i know you don't yeah. uh, you would know that i actually put that in before the last episode so i did it yeah yeah, I know. I know you don't listen to our show. Well, I'm I'm glad that I can now make it my official, which is why I have to give statement. you notes because you don't. There listen. you go. You do. I do. I. I <laughs> that's true. Okay, I'm sorry. You can cut that out. <laughs> I'm not cutting like. it out. It's all staying. In. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, this is chapter thirteen, titled Shadow Band. How the truly <laughs> unlucky for us. Truly unlucky for us. Shadow Band. How the liberals' grip on social media can ruin your life. Benedict, do you have an alternate chapter title for us this week? I okay. So here's the thing: I have an alternate chapter subtitle. Mm, okay, I'm, I'm going to stay with Shadow Band because I don't believe that's a real thing. I, it's a Reddit. It's weirdly like a Reddit thing that I don't think happens on any of the other social media platforms. Like Shadow Banning, for those who don't know, is like Reddit bans you without telling right. you that they've banned you from certain communities but i think it only happens on reddit and then conservatives have convinced themselves that that it is something i pulled up in my research too that reddit freely admits that they do for yeah. people who are abusive or break the rules and things and get reported by a bunch of admins will basically just not post any of their posts but not yeah. tell you that they're doing that yeah, exactly. But it doesn't happen on any other social media platform, as far as I'm aware. This is also a particularly poignant chapter because all the conservatives are making a big thing about fleeing to yes. parlor now. I, so we're we're going to get to that, obviously. Obviously, we're going to talk per- about parlor and its many Nazi issues. Perfect timing. But anyway, so shadow banned. How the liberals' grip on social media will get you millions of followers and also a book deal, I guess. <laughs> yes, very well, very well. Uh, mine, and this was just a, a non sequitur, was a Pop Pop's racist Facebook post sing along. That's uh, one. <laughs> I have another one. Uh, shadow bummed. How freely sharing your bigotry <laughs> online can ruin your life. <laughs> I like that one. Let's go with that. All one. right. Well, I go with both. Don't don't tell me how no, to edit you have this to podcast. Pick one. You have to pick one. You have to pick a favorite <sighs> child. I don't, want, I don't want to disappoint the first one, but we all know the second one's better. I mean, it is. Just he's better at it baseball, is. and look, the first one, <laughs> the first one can't hit the curve, and it's just it's so look, disappointing. We we made some mistakes with the first one. We ironed it out on the second one. It's all good. That is how all children work. As a second child, I, I, you can tell that I am a first child. <laughs> As a second child, I can verify we're we're definitely better than the first one. So we start off. This chapter, learning that from the first minute that he won the election, there were people wondering whether Trump would give up social media. Of course. I think, to be fair, it was before that also. (laughs) Oh, yeah. People being like, please stop fucking tweeting. 
But, of course, he brings it up, you know, there, there were a headline, like one on Mashable, that read, You won! You can stop tweeting now. Uh, and, you know, that was, a, I remember that time, we were seriously talking about, is he going to give up the tweeting? And, and I don't think anyone really believed that he would stop no. with the Twitter. Not no. I like the bit where he goes on to say they believed it would be somehow trivial yes! or beneath the dignity of the office, which it absolutely has proven <laughs> to be. Like, yes, that is exactly it's, what it's it is. That well done. Somehow he puts in that line. That was a direct yeah. quote, quote you read. There's that somehow he put in that line, which is it stuck out so much to me. <laughs> Yeah. Let me show you all the ways in which it was all of those things. That somehow you can just see by scrolling through his Twitter feed. Exactly. Today, especially <laughs> when he retweeted someone that said white power yes. within the first five seconds of the just video. Just this morning, we get an example of that somehow. It's so amazing. And that, that is, I have that written on my first page. It could not okay, be more good. prescient. You, I can tell that you, uh, you read this chapter this morning then. Fuck! Well, yeah, of course. You know, I'm a last-minute kind of guy. But he tells us about his interaction with social media and how it works for him. He says, sure, the platform can be an absolute dumpster fire. Most of the time, for me at least, meaning Donnie Jr., scrolling through my feed involves sorting through death threats, a whole encyclopedia of swear words, and comparisons of me to everything from excrement to extraterrestrial before I can get to my news stories. But it wasn't always that way. I I know what you're going to say. Go ahead. Can I just <laughs> this is yes. unfollow those people? Yeah, yes. That's not how a feed works. Okay. So I think he means his replies. I think he means his, his replies and mentions. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he But does. he obviously has no editor. We've learned that throughout this book. There's no possible way he could have an editor who is looking over these words giving him feedback and then sending the book to print. There's no way that was it's the not process. how social media works. Not how feeds work at all. Also the the fact that he's like people saying swears is like that's l- number two in his list of like <laughs> things that offend me like come on <laughs> yes twenty twenty so he takes us back we're going back in time a little time warp here to two thousand seven which I looked up the years that all these things <laughs> happened and you will be surprised to know that they do not track with the evolution of social media or Donald Trump's interaction with mm-hmm. social media. Well, so let's go into I it. assumed he was talking about 2007. And the reason why is because this is the way he describes uh, this little flashback we're doing. He says probably uh, around the tail end of the second parenthetical and final I hope Bush presidency when the flip phone was the coolest thing around and my friend Kid Rocks all summer long played all summer long my father was still the host of a little show called The Apprentice and I would sit his right in the boardroom every week it was a tough job but somebody had to do it now I assume it was 2007 because you're correct Kid Rocks all summer long came out in 2007 yes. I think the iPhone came out in 2007 as well, didn't it? I don't know when the iPhone so it, came out, but Twitter came out in 2006. So, yes, Twitter came out in 2006. Do you know when Donald Trump Jr., who is claiming that this was the fun time to be on social media, do you know it's funny that you can tell when people joined mm-hmm. social media when platforms in their profile? It happened in 2009. <laughs> so a good two years after the ideal time to be on social media, which frankly checks out because I think the ideal time to be on social media was before Donald Trump Jr. was on social media. Now, to be fair, he may be referring to his MySpace page. We all remember MySpace. Truly. Those Truly. tragic Who do you times. think his top top seven oh, were? Oh, man. What is it? Top... How many was it? I uh, Candace Owens. Candace Owens, definitely, right? No, no. It's got to be before oh, that. It's got to be Donald Trump, number one, yeah, obviously. obviously. Got to get daddy's love. Uh, and then Ivanka, probably? Ivanka, number two, right? Um, Tiffany reckon... didn't make the circle. She didn't make the top <laughs> seven. Definitely not. 
Was it seven? I don't remember. I've never had MySpace, MySpa- honestly. I, I, if I went and looked, because I have no idea if MySpace is even still operating. Uh, it is still up there. I, I probably have a MySpace page. It's still up because I don't know if they just delete them if they're an- oh, inactive it's probably super racist. Oh, God, no. That was that was grade school when I last used MySpace. So pro- probably not so bad at that point. It was high school when I took a bad turn. Okay. But, uh, yeah, MySpace. We're assuming MySpace. <laughs> But the, way, the whole <laughs> yeah, reason I wanted to point this out was because his description of that time is so fucking lame, right? The flip yeah. phone being the coolest thing. I had a Razer phone. That was my first phone. I remember the flip phone. I had a Razer phone. That was your first yeah, phone? Yeah, I had the Razer. I, did, I didn't wow. get one until high school. I had a Nokia 3210 oh, the brick? at age, age 12. Oh, yeah. man, that thing was indestructible. Was you could play hockey with that good. motherfucker. It was good. But... Just, just pointed out that his, his description is so absolutely lame, lame there. But he's pointing out one of his first early, t- I guess not early tweets, because this is 2013, he points out, when he tweeted, or his father tweeted, rather, Obama can kill Americans at will with drones, but waterboarding is not allowed, only in America. And, of course, got attacked <laughs> on Twitter for saying something yeah. stupid, because waterboarding is torture, and fuck you. There's also it problems also- with the drone strike program. But that's not the point yeah. he's trying to make. Donald Trump, let's be honest, wants drone strikes Thinks and we should do both. Yes. Yes, that is correct. Also, there's this weird timeline here where he's like, my father tweeted in 2013 this, and then it all took off for him. But then he goes back in time and is like, well, he started building a big readership, and by 2012, he had 6 million followers. Like, yes. what? Well, he says, he says 4 million followers, which he describes as, quote, nearly double the size of the New York Times readership, which, look, I'm nitpicky. Okay, I'm a little bit nitpicky. So I do have to point out that the New York, New York Times digital subscribers rank at 2.9 million. Uh, they have 1.08 million Sunday subscribers for print edition and 571,000 subscribers to the daily edition. So, uh, no, it's not double. It's not double. I just, I want to be a no, little bit nitpicky. but also, like, news, newspapers aren't really the same as Twitter. Like, that's not how it works. It's also worth, yeah, it's also worth pointing out that there's no real similarity there. Or It was a, it was a you, jab you, at the New York Times. We know there was no you don't You don't have to pay to subscribe to Donald Trump's Twitter feed. Like, that's not a, but he, that's not a thing. Also, they have 47 million <laughs> Twitter followers. Followers on Twitter, is, yeah. Exactly. Slightly less than Donald Trump, but I think half of Donald Trump's followers are bots. There so. are a lot of bots out there. But the thing that he points out in here, which is like the one thing where it's a, it's a close but no potato moment, where we have to give Don Jr. <laughs> some credit, I guess, for pointing this out, is that Twitter and social media have allowed for the explosion of populist candidates that have come about, you know, in the same time frame as Donald Trump. And he says, quote, if you don't believe me, Speaking about the the ability of Donald Trump to communicate directly through Twitter. Just look at the explosion Mm. of populist candidates around the world after he was elected. You think he had something to do with that? And no, I don't think Donald Trump had anything to do with that. I think social media is a major driving force behind the explosion of populist candidates. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, you you look at populist candidates and their relationship with economic crisis, and it tends to be a couple of election cycles after an economic crisis you tend to get populist candidates and social media might facilitate that but remember we had the biggest economic crisis of all time since the great depression basically and then eight years later you get a populist candidate which is around the time after the great depression that uh hitler came (laughs) along and mussolini and uh, you know you can argue fdr is a populist too and he didn't have social media you you take advantage of the platforms at the time so they took advantage of radio and right uh you know the wireless you know 
systems of a technology that people didn't have access to before to speak directly to people. And if social media doesn't exist, I have no doubt that the populist candidates would still have arisen. They'd just be using different media to it's the most direct line to people but that doesn't mean that they couldn't reach people in other ways they would just pay to have a radio station and they'd have to pay to do it or they'd bootleg it or whatever but i you know i i I agree that it has something to do with the dissemination but i think the societal causes are of the causes whereas the the platforms are just the transition how it gets to the people i think I, i don't know how much it wouldn't have happened anyway. I'm not saying it wouldn't have happened without social media. The point I, I'm getting to is I think that the populist message is that most suited to social media as it has developed. Yeah, I think that's right. But I also think it's probably the message that's most suited to most media. Like, it, it's very easy to be like, hey, this is the problem. I'll fix it. That, you know, where, where you don't need any nuanced debate, you know, that... As I say, that's what happened with radio. It's what happened with TV. Like when that came along, people people love to just say these people are the problem or this is the problem, and I can fix it, and nobody needs to ask me any questions. Like, yeah, yeah, I it's the it's I think it's the one sidedness of the the message is always an issue when there's only yeah, and, and I don't mean like there's a both sides thing. What I mean by that is the speaker is able to put out their message, and you only get their side because it's not communication it's not uh back and forth but the populace is able to put out their message in a form that nobody can respond directly to them yeah you can only respond to them in a secondary way yeah i agree but i i would say that people always find a way around media gatekeepers and that just happens to be the current easiest way around media gatekeepers like you see it with fdr's fireside chats for example stuff like that you know people find people find a way to bypass media gatekeepers and spread a a populist right and there's there's nothing we're getting off track into way too too philosophical speaking of radio benedict uh (laughs) donnie jr brings up here a couple of stories uh pointing out the the uh how crazy the liberal mob is on social media Mm. how they can destroy someone for doing nothing they do nothing. They're innocent. They did nothing wrong, and they just get dragged mm. through the mud for no reason. Like, for example, yeah, it, you, that poor martyr, Tucker Carlson. <laughs> oh, yeah, who's famously not been on television since this happened to him. And Right? I mean, he was canceled. Yeah, and famously, basically the closest thing we have to a white supremacist in mass media. It's Tucker Carlson's as close as you get to being a straight-up fucking fascist, uh, even among Fox News hosts. Tucker Carlson is a special breed of fucking asshole. Yeah, certainly white populist. And the special incident that happened to Tucker Carlson, if you don't remember from a few years ago. Yeah, I meant to look this up. I didn't look it up. I've written what was this in big letters. So I I relied on you to look it up. (laughs) Lucky you, I do all of the work that you never do. Uh, So, of Mm. course, Tucker Carlson. Uh, uh, excuse me, I found out what year All Summer Long came out. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, but Tucker Carlson, of course, back way back, way back, less than a decade ago. Uh, or actually, okay, 2008, <laughs> I'll be fair. 12 years this ago. This is after Jon Stewart ruined him on that CNN Crossfire <laughs> show, presumably? Yes, presumably. I think that was okay. 2006-ish when that happened. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but Tucker Carlson used to call into a shock jock radio show. Bubba the Love Sponge, we all know. That is, I, I mean, Bubba the Love Sponge, like, so he, for some reason, Bubba the Love Sponge, if you if you aren't familiar, comes up all over the place. Because he was like one of those places where all the shit bags went, right? Bubba the Love Sponge was the guy who uh, had sex with um, 
uh, whose wife did he have sex? The uh, uh, Hulk Hogan. He had sex with Hulk Hogan's wife. And uh, he's the guy, okay. you know, the whole tape with Gawker and all that. That was Bubba the Love Sponge. So, oh, yes, really? that's where all that okay. came from. Right. So that, that was terrible. But Tucker Carlson also used to call into that show and say some pretty terrible fucking things. Like, for example, describing Iraq as a crappy place filled with a bunch of, you know, semi-literate primitive monkeys. Adding, quote, oh. that's why it wasn't worth invading. Yeah, following a segment from 2006 where he said he had, quote, zero sympathy for Iraqi people and their culture because they, quote, don't use toilet paper or forks. Cool. Yeah, that's a little little problematic right there. Well, I mean, especially if you apply today's norms to it, which is what the liberals did. (laughs) I don't think our norms were that different in 2006. Okay, our norms were different in 2006. That doesn't make it acceptable. No, those norms weren't different. Right. Some of them were, but those ones were. But what Donnie Jr. is complaining about in this chapter is that those words were taken out of context by liberals. And like what you mentioned... What was the context? That's the point. There is no context <laughs> that makes that acceptable. For example, his March 2006 call into the show where he said, quote, uh, he uh, uh, speaking about his desire for a presidential candidate to blame, uh, the, quote, I, lunatic Muslims who are behaving like animals... That candidate would, quote, okay. be elected king if they vowed to kill as many of them as they can. That's what he Great. wanted. He wanted a candidate who would vow to kill as many of those lunatic Muslims as they could. There is no context I, I, that makes that acceptable, is the point. I particularly enjoy his hard pivot from this to, like, a openly admitting to not understanding slang. God. Which is the next section of, the, of this chapter. He's just like, all of this... We were cancelled, except one of them now has a Fox News show and the other one's dad is president, so I guess not cancelled. And that's the thing, like, we'll probably get into this a bit, but, like, all these people get cancelled. I see them everywhere. Like, nobody has ever actually been cancelled. Do you know who the last people that were actually cancelled were? The fucking Dixie Chicks for saying the Iraq (laughs) war was wrong. That's I'm sorry, Benedict, the chicks. The chicks. That's the chicks now, yeah, exactly, yeah. But they, they, they were like, hey, the Iraq war's bad. And then Republicans were like, how fucking dare you? We're never <laughs> buying your music again. And that is still the case to this day. They were the last people that were effectively cancelled by the right. And also, like, the right has its own triggers for cancelling. Like, as soon as you say anything about kneeling for the anthem or anything like that, you are cancelled. But at, by actual people that have power in this world, as opposed to people on Twitter. Like, that's, that's the irony of all of this. Like, the people that have actual power to cancel people aren't Twitter mobs. They're people that own massive corporations. And if you disagree with the things that they say, then you will never be employed by them again. And, you know, that's... Yeah, that's, that's actual cancellation. No, and look... There's... I got a bit ahead of myself there, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're fine. But... I mean, we need to move on because immediately after that paragraph where he's talking about Tucker Carlson, he talks about how this happened to him when he was on the Opie and Anthony show on Sirius XM. Opie. Opie. What did I say? Opium? I don't know. Opie. Okay. Opie and Anthony show. Thunderstorm. And by the way, Sirius XM is just the worst. I I can't. My parents have it in their cars and I'm like, what? Just get fucking Spotify. Just get over this yeah, shit. Weird. Fucking Sirius XM, it's garbage. You drive it... Pandora. Pandora is the one that most confuses me. Because it's like you've gone for Spotify, but it's just worse in every way. <laughs> what, I don't know if you know this, but actually, um, with regards to the recent controversy, uh, they've actually changed their name to Worse Spotify. So that's that's official <laughs> now. 
But what he's referring to right. is an incident when he was on the Opie and Anthony show. Did I just say Opie again? I don't you know. You did it. You did it again. Can't help it. Can't help it. I don't know why. I wasn't going to point it out that time. I was just going to leave it. But he was on the show making some blatantly chauvinist remarks. Uh, and of course, he claims they were joking. It was Opie and Anthony. It's all a joke. It's all a joke, of course. Which led me to actually looking up the audio and listening oh, no. to the segment. I do this for you people. I do it for all of you so you don't have to. Now, Opie and Anthony, uh, it is a comedy show. Opie and Anthony, uh, Anthony Cumia, and I forget Opie's last name, both comedians. Uh, bad ones, as a matter of fact. Anthony, pretty goddamn racist, as it turns out. He eventually got kicked off of that show after making a racist screed on Twitter. Uh, but the segment he's talking about, where he was said, quote, if you guys have a place, you guys have a place. I have a hard time letting go of that. Maybe I'm not going to have a choice, referring to men's only country clubs. That was the topic of discussion. Then follows that with, if you can't handle some of the basic stuff that's become a problem in the workforce today, then maybe you don't belong in the workforce. Like, you should go maybe teach kindergarten. I think it's a respectable position. And Benedict, I can imagine a parallel universe where that was a comedic remark. If it was followed up by something that made it uh, uh, in, in a satirical context. Right. Or, uh, funny? or you know, or... it was funny in any sort of way. However, like I mentioned, I listened to the actual audio. And there's a difference in inflection and in tone and in voice and in basically just the way you fucking talk when you're saying something mm. that's a joke versus when you're saying something that you actually believe. And I can tell you, listening I, to that... I, I heard what you did there. You went up at the end of the joke. Uh-huh. And then you went down exactly. and you said what you're believing so that people knew you because were serious Because here's the thing. When you're, when like you're transitioning between comedy and seriousness, you tend to get a little quieter when you're being serious. And you tend to... Because you want to draw to, people to, in. Yes, you want right? to speak you with wanna... a little bit more emphasis, a little bit more sincerity behind your voice. That's something that happens. And that is absolutely what he was doing when he was speaking <laughs> that. And I should add that the only possible context or something that's been omitted from that he could point to as a, a proof that it's a joke, is possibly the following several minutes, uh, I believe it was about six or seven minutes of that show, where Opie and Anthony tried to pull up naked photos on their office computer to show him that it gets blocked in the office. They can't even look at naked photos in the office. Oh, man, they've been canceled. <laughs> What's wrong with this world? Censorship, freedom of speech, First Amendment. There was no joke. That's how you do it, right? It was absolutely not joking. He was being a douchebag, and he's mad that he got called out for it. Yeah, yeah. And then, presumably, he's been cancelled by the cyber terrorists, which is where we get to <laughs> in the next bit of the chapter, where he's like, Ilan Omar and AOC have their own secret language that they're well-versed in, and calling me things like cancelled or hella problematic <laughs> or doing a microaggression. <laughs> if he can point to they a single time exactly. anyone has ac accused him of doing a microaggression rather than a full-on aggression, I will give him that point, but I guarantee you he can't. Or just be, like, why hella prob It's probably just they said problematic. Like, the fact that you've thrown hella in there with, like, some veiled ebonics to try it. Yeah, anyway, whatever. But he, so. Anyway, he calls that, he says, like cyber terrorists, <laughs> they are well schooled in the arts of igniting mass anger and gaslighting, and they know how to weaponize Twitter. And then we get the biggest straw man that I've ever seen, where he's like, oh, yeah, imagine a white director did something, and people were like, oh, there aren't enough trans people of color in this movie, which is a thing that has never happened <laughs> so, to anyone yes, yes. ever. So, what he's basically complaining about. We should point this out. He's complaining about the left 
having more people, right? Because the, the basic point is there's more people to the left on social media because there's more people to the left that exist than there are conservatives. And when conservatives say stupid shit, they get called out on it. So it's a combination of the left is better at social media because we're younger, for one thing. Generally. Yeah, generally, we know what we're doing there. Uh, and we're generally, you know, smarter. I don't want to say conservatives are dumb, but, they, you know, there's a lot of stupidity out there. We've seen Donnie Jr., for example. We've read his book. Oh, I've seen some dumb leftists. That's not, you know. There's dumb leftists out there. That, uh, that is true. But the point, the point I'm making, more to, more to the, the center of the issue, if it were, is they don't have that sort of wit that goes into making snappy comments online that go with Twitter That's or true. Facebook or things like that. The, the right is getting better at comedy and it's making liberals nervous. <laughs> to quote the great Paul Joseph Watson. Uh, yeah. But the example you're talking about, he brings up here, the only possible thing he could draw... It's not this, an example. Well, it's a hypothetical. It's a hypothetical. It's a hypothetical. But it is clearly based off of, in part, James Gunn. That's the only possible example he could be drawing this from mm. because there's no director. I did Googling. I, I spent like 10 minutes trying to figure out if there's anything else he could be referring to with this. But no, he's just, you know, trying to, A, throw in some trans slur, anti-trans bullshit in here. Uh, and some, the hashtags he gives, for example, are hashtag John Smith sexist pig or hashtag white privilege John Smith die, which are just fucking stupid. Again, he has no idea about the wit that goes into things and how social media works. <laughs> but the only example that could be even close to what he's talking about is James Gunn. If you remember, James Gunn uh, was the director of the Guardians of the Galaxy series, the first two movies. And after the second one, it came out that there was some uh, some bad tweets he had made in the past, making jokes about pedophilia yeah. and things like that. And because of that, Disney fired him from the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, even though those movies had made Disney a ton of money. They decided to yep. let him go for that. And then contradicting Donnie Jr.'s narrative here that those people never work again after they are canceled, they hired him back! And he yeah, will he's be directing Guardians the third of the movie. Galaxy 3 and Suicide Squad. So. Yeah! He got hired immediately after leaving uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. He got hired on Suicide Squad again. And that's the thing. Like, these, anyone that's canceled never gets properly canceled. And you can make an argument that, like, some people should be. But it's very, very rare that people are... Pro like, even fucking Louis C.K. is making a comeback, who, like, admitted all the shit that he did and was like, yeah, it was wrong, and I knew it was wrong at the time. And then now he's just making a weird comeback that I guess is, like, like aimed at conservatives that hate... Ca I That's the only Whatever. thing I can imagine. Because here's, here's the other part of that being cancelled thing, right? Which is that the people who are really upset about the shit you did, they're just not going to pay for your stuff. So, yeah, so you have to pivot. That's yeah, you have to pivot to the, generally, in these cases, it is to the right, to the for, sort of anti-SJW side of things, because that's who they blame all this canceling on. Or, you know what, like, if you're big enough to have been canceled in the first place, just go to sleep on your pile of money that you have, which is normally what <laughs> happens. Admittedly, there are times when you know, Twitter goes too far and gets someone fired that they definitely shouldn't do that to. You've, we've seen multiple examples of that. John Ronson wrote, wrote a good book, So You've Been Publicly Shamed. That's happened. Um, and, and we should point out that, right, this, this moment in time, it is happening a lot to white women who are very upset about having to wear a mask somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, it tends to be, more often than not, it's like a lefty who isn't left enough. Mm-hmm. You know, and it gets cancelled by a left. Like, conservatives don't give a shit, really, right. unless it's, like, right, like full-on racist. 
it's it's very hard to get. Oh, people... they can go very close to that full on racist line before their side will decide that they need to go. They can go very yeah, see like, Tucker Carlson's career. And that's the thing. Like you tend to be canceled by your own side. Like see Milo Yiannopoulos. Yeah. Like he was canceled by Republicans. Like and that was an effect. Like the effective cancellations tend to come from your own or side. Or Donnie Jr.'s buddy Candace Owens, who he brings up later in this chapter. Yeah, we're gonna get to. Yeah, it. we're gonna get to. Well, it. I mean, you know, what we get here, like Roseanne Barr, who was cancelled because she called, uh, what's her name, Valerie? Valerie Jarrett. Valerie Jarrett. She called her the cross between Planet of the Apes and the Muslim Brotherhood, and this is a a person of color, obviously. Yeah. So yeah, that's bad. She should have been fired. I think. Yeah. Also, personally. she's fucking insane. Roseanne Barr that's is a crazy too. person. Yeah, that's true. And then Kevin Hart, you know, the person who hasn't made a comedy special since... Last year? Oh, no, that's wrong. Yeah, that's... Yeah. He didn't get to host the Oscars. Actually, that's not even what it was. He agreed to not host the Oscars because it was going to cause more trouble for the Oscars than it was worth. Like, oh, no, I didn't get to host the Oscars. I'm just going to go back to being the biggest selling comedian in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Relax. His career is still doing pretty swell as far as I can tell. Fine. But he says here... That you don't see conservatives doing this. Quote, even the younger ones who know how to use social media, using the same organized mob tactics used by left-wing SJWs, parenthetical, this might be because most of us have jobs and don't have time to sit around hashtagging all day. See his father. He said earlier that, and also he said earlier in the chapter that he checks Twitter pretty much every couple of hours. So... But, but what I love, what I love about this page, and I don't know if you notice this, is what comes below that. Where he says, mm. it's also because at its very core, conservatism is striving towards something. We believe in freedom of speech for everyone, not just that pe- the people we agree with. Beyond that, it's really just the same stuff we've been talking about for years. Free markets, capitalism, Judeo-Christian values, and personal responsibility. Whenever conservatives get into an online scrap with someone, it's usually to defend one of the things I just mentioned. Yeah, exactly. So I hate people that disagree with me. <laughs> Excuse me. Hey, I love the hilarity of that bullshit, right? That's that's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense that that's what they're all the conservatives are out there arguing for online. It's fucking bullshit. Well, but but even if it was, like he's like, oh, we don't get into fights about stupid shit. We only get into the fights about the things that we happen to care about. Like that's the same thing the left is doing. It's just they happen to care about not being racist or sexist. That's the stuff they care about. Right, and he claims after that, quote, there are no bedrock values in the far-left social justice warrior movement. When you ask its adherents what they believe, they'll usually say something like, equality for everyone, parenthetical, which in liberal speak translates to equality for me, but not for thee. It's just that straw-manning bullshit that we've grown to know from all the authors we've ever read, who have, honestly, probably, no idea what the left believes in, what we think, or if they do, just don't care. And they know that if they actually present those things honestly, their audience will either skim over that or get angry that they're not just trashing them in the way they've become accustomed to by Fox News, Breitbart, all the outlets they usually read. But the next thing he gets to is pointing out, again, I should mention, right, this chapter is supposed to be about shadow banning. That was the title. That was the title of the chapter. Yeah, not once have we mentioned. Yeah, he doesn't bring it up at all. We're ten pages in. Before we get a single mention of the thing colloquially known as shadow banning. Ten pages before we get that. Chapter started on page 204. We're on page 214 now, where we finally get 
any shadow banning mentioned. So, he says, quote, We are a country. We as a country, rather have allowed Twitter, Facebook, and other tech giants whose staffs are almost entirely liberal to censor the opinions of conservatives without conscience. consequence. And he's mentioned, right, this is shadow banning. Finally, we're talking about it. And the idea of shadow banning, because it is mainly, primarily, a conservative conspiracy theory, there's not a whole lot, that, a whole lot of there there, uh, there are several incidents that have actually occurred, right? One is what Jack Dorsey mentioned when he was before Congress last year, where their algorithm had unfairly, I believe he called it, yeah, I think that's the hidden 600,000 accounts that did skew conservative. The reason that algorithm did that is because it looked at things based on user activity, including reporting of posts. So it looked at similarities between those posts that were deemed offensive through the reporting process and the posts of conservatives who were posting outrageous shit online. That's how that process worked out. It's not yeah, that crazy. It's a huge, a huge shock. Also, I mean, uh, just to quickly point out that the right does not get shadow banned by big tech generally. And if you follow Kevin Roos on Twitter, who's uh, one of the New York Times's tech reporters, I think, he every day tweets the top 10 Facebook posts in terms of engagement. And normally eight to nine out of 10 of them are from a conservative leaning outlet or personality. So just something to look at probably, before you make any data-driven... <laughs> Absolutely. So, he mentions, he, he says here, that they ban the accounts of conservatives for, quote, fraudulent charges of hate speech. Now, I would like to tell you that we're going to get some examples of those fraudulent charges of hate speech, but knowing that this is a Donnie Jr. book... Not a one! Not a one! I tried to figure out what he could be referring to. I went to a couple of sites that had lists of prominent prominent uh, Twitter bans and Twitter suspensions based on things that have been said. I couldn't find one that was a fraudulent charge of hate speech. Uh, Didn't James, what did James Woods get? James Woods got banned because he tweeted, I I had to look this up too because it came up. He tweeted out a fake uh, notice from the Democrats or something like that. It was some fake, fake Democrat group claiming that men shouldn't vote because they should blah, 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 SJW, support women, something like that. Uh, it was nonsense. And it was fake. It was a fake political message. He was portraying to be real. He was trying to, you yeah. know, throw off the election in some sort of way. Also, he's back on Twitter now. Absolutely. It was a suspension, not a ban. And also, Donald Trump has repeatedly broken Twitter's rules, and mm-hmm. they don't ban him because they think it's in the public interest that he be on the platform, but he would have been banned for tweeting some of the shit that he has tweeted whilst president. So I also look to know. see, could he be referring to maybe someone a little less, uh, a little less, you know, out there, a little less known, but someone who's clearly in his circle. So how about Laura Loomer? How about the reason she was banned mm. from Twitter for which she famously chained herself to only one door of Twitter's headquarters. <laughs> Which was, I think, my favorite thing. The funniest <laughs> fail of all, of potentially of all time. The people just opened the other door and like, were walking past. They're like, what the fuck are you doing? It, it was probably the best thing that I've seen in a long time. But Laura Loomer, of course, who we know went on a racist screed against Muslims, tweeting out that she couldn't get a cab that didn't have a Muslim as a cab driver uh, in Uber or Lyft, uh, eventually ended up with her being banned from both Uber and Lyft for her lifetime, which I, I think is pretty fantastic. Pretty, pretty great way to handle that. So the next thing we get to in this chapter is some of the Jussie Smollett bullshit, 
right? We know that Donnie Trump Jr. has a major rager for the Jussie Smollett thing. <laughs> In fact, so much so that the next chapter is entirely, as far as I can tell, or at least it's supposed to be. We know how he writes the headline or the, the chapter title, and then 90% of it doesn't have anything to do with that thing that the chapter title was about. Yep. But the next chapter title, and, and Benedict, I'll let you read the title for the next chapter. Because <laughs> I, oh, right I know you love the title of that next chapter. Oh, you know, I, you know, I love a good portmanteau. <laughs> so it's the the late night king of comedy. Comedy. Oh my, I can't even fucking read it. The late night king of comedy with Jussie Smollett and the Faux Trade Orchestra, <laughs> which is the weirdest portmanteau. Like, I Faux Trade. It's it's a different vowel sound <laughs> than outrage. It's not Faux Trade. Why are we? Why well, are we doing this? <laughs> Well, he he did in this chapter, sort of introduce that that little oh, portmanteau he, int- he, he came up with. He introduced the the concept of yeah, faux trade. He says, he "I like to call it faux trade." <laughs> I I underlined it and just wrote "hate" <laughs> next to it. So we're not going to talk about the little Jesse Jesse Smollett incident that he puts in this chapter much because he is going to spend the entirety of the next chapter talking about it. And I skimmed that because. I'm going to have to do a lot of Googling to look up all the hate crimes he claims are fake and, of course, the massive list of real ones inspired by his father. Uh, yep. But, but uh, suffice it to say, Instagram accidentally took down one of his posts because of, you know, tech, and uh, he got mad about it and doesn't mention that it got put back up, just pretends that it was violent media yeah. censorship against him. I, I, I would just point out, like, they, these people have huge accounts, and sometimes things go wrong with accounts. And when it happens to me or it happens to you... We go, huh, must be a bug, and then come back two hours later, and it's fine, and it's fixed. Whereas when it happens to these people, they're like, I'm being cancelled! And then that's it, they like complain to Instagram, and it's a whole thing. Which and is- then Instagram has to respond. Like, most of the time, having worked in tech, shit fucks up all the time. And most of the time, it's nobody's fault. It's just something broke in the code. Because it's very easy to break things in the code. So, normally... Just give people a chance. They're not trying to deliberately censor you. I mean, that's I, not how the world works. I'm on Twitter constantly because I, I adore Twitter. I love Twitter. I have, I have recently been trying to take less time on Twitter, spend less time there for my own mental health. I don't think I was on there at all Friday or Saturday. But uh, the type of things he's talking about now that you, you sort of introed is some of the things where, for example, his Instagram followers would be unable to follow his account or they would try and like it, and the heart would light up, and then it would flash back off, or they would yeah, follow and then the find out that they hadn't. Those are tech glitches that I see all the goddamn time when I'm on Twitter. They're just yeah. tech glitches. But of course, in the conservative mind, this is intentional censorship of their views. Yeah, because the, the, the product must work so well. It's like Schrodinger's product. It's like perfect and fucked at the same time. Yes, it is. But you don't find out until you click the like button. Then the wave, exactly. the wave field collapses and you find out whether you actually like the post or not. <laughs> that's the, uh, yeah, that's, that's that's the excuse for Republicans who accidentally like porn. Uh, <laughs> the waveform collapsed. What am I supposed to do? But the next section we get in here, he spends a good three pages complaining about the incident with Sarah Young and the New York Times. Ugh, it's so boring. It really like, is. I mean, we're going to talk about it a little bit in the patron-only show, right? The, what we're looking for as far as new books that we're going to do, right? Because, and, and we've talked about this a little off the air, but these books, the, the pseudo-memoir books 
uh, the Donnie Jr. Yeah. stuff and, and other ones that I've looked at as far as trying to find something for us to do. They don't put forward any real ideas. They're tired retreads of old shit that they've been putting on social media, and that's basically what this is. This is Donnie Jr. copying a bunch of his tweet premises and just writing a couple extra paragraphs and putting it into a book. There's nothing really to argue with here other than to point out the stupidity of most of the things he's saying. If we want to talk about ideas, (laughs) we got to do the Dave Rubin book. Oh, no! I think, you know, I should point out, uh, Skeptical Seventh, uh, was the, I think it was the Rubin book, because uh, this is from a couple months ago, but Skeptical Seventh, our patron, uh, and also fantastic, fantastic, uh, does some great work uh, online, uh, you know, works with Right Wing Watch and some stuff occasionally, um, did the Rubin book in a Twitter form. And so Skeptical Seventh, if, you will, if you'll send me the link to that, I'll put it in the show notes if people want to see the stuff you did on the Rubin book. If it was, the, I think it was the Rubin book. I'm 90% sure it was the Rubin book you did. Um, I think it was. I think it was. Yeah, but going over the Rubin book, I mean, I, I, again, I think the problem with the Rubin book is all the reviews I've read of that book say it's just retreaded bullshit. It's the same old thing. Yeah, There's yeah. nothing interesting. I'm sure it is. So, but yeah, so the Sarah Zhang stuff, he's just going off about how she, she was tweeting out these things that were, yes, they were satire of the kind of From racist. Years ago. Yeah. Of, well, of your, the years ago thing, I don't think is, is a valid, um, well, no, whatever. But but like the point being, he's lambasted the left for going over people's old tweets. Yeah. And then he's trying to do like literally do the same to her. Exactly. Like people tried to do the same to her. The so. Hypocrisy is valid to criticize, but I don't think it's valid to say that to use the it was years ago argument. I don't think that's a valid argument. I think the valid argument in this case is she was actually doing satire of the racist bullshit she got online as an Asian American woman. So, because, yeah. and she, when all this came out, like, she posted a bunch of images of, like, this is the kind of shit that I get and the kind of shit I was satirizing in doing those tweets. Uh, but then, of course, is where we get our intro to little Candace, our girl Candace, uh, who tweeted out the same stuff, except she replaced white with Jewish in all of those and got in trouble for that. Now, Benedict, can you see how there might be uh, an issue with, for example, Tweeting out this statement, I'll read the Sarah Zhang version, but imagine the word white is replaced with Jewish. Quote, are white people genetically predisposed to burn faster in the sun, thus logically being only fit to live underground like groveling goblins? Can you imagine how the history of anti-Semitism might play into changing that to Jewish? Yeah, it's not It's not great, Kevin. It's not great. <laughs> no. But also, like, his example is, oh, Candace Owens is in real trouble for this. Like, she has two million followers on Twitter and is well-funded and well-liked by the entire right wing. So, like... Not the right wing, but like a, a big part of the right wing media apparatus is in love with Candace Owens still. So like, don't tell me they she love was their tokens, for man. Doing they those. love their tokens. Whatever, but like, don't tell me she was cancelled for doing this because like she got banned for maybe twenty four hours and was asked to take the posts down. But like again, nobody was cancelled. Exactly. And the next example we get is is Ted Cruz complaining about uh, James Woods getting not banned he was temporarily suspended from twitter for his again fake uh democrat message bullshit he was trying to push out there he compared that to jim carrey paint <laughs> whose painting of attorney general william barr drowning in a sea of vomit apparently is the thing that should have gotten him banned 
Um, that is an extremely funny sentence. It's also I, mean, I looked. <laughs> I also looked up the picture. It's not bad. I mean, Jim Carrey's not a terrible <laughs> artist. Uh, it's, no, it's I saw. It's quite good. I've heard. Yeah, yeah. But the next ones we get to, we get uh, Kathy Griffin, right? Fine. We've all heard those arguments before. That's boring stuff. I have no interest boring. in talking about that. Carlos Mazza's more interesting, I guess. It likely. is. And I think it's an interesting counterpoint to what we talked about earlier, where he talked about uh, people being banned online for their fake uh, hate speech, right? That fake hate speech that people are doing. Where if you remember, I, I don't know who uh, followed this story when it happened, but uh, Carlos Mazza uh, works for Vox, writer on Vox. And Steven Crowder, of course, right-wing shitbag YouTuber, um, called Maza a, quote, lispy queer. Okay, so this is what I wanted to say. Uh-huh. The, the, he, he says just before that, before he acknowledges that, he says Carlos Maza set his sights on Steven Crowder. Yeah. Whereas what yeah. actually happened is Steven Crowder I'm glad you called picked up him on that a, bit. did some hate speech, uh-huh. and, then, and then Carlos Maza was like, hey... This isn't cool. And that is what Donnie Jr. says is setting his sight. Yeah. And let's read his uh, waving it away. Let's read Donnie Jr.'s hand waving on this one where he says, quote, Okay, it's offensive, but Crowder is an R-rated political shock jock. That's his shtick. And Maza is a public person who is all about building his online presence. You think his motive might have included something more than just defending his being gay? Okay. That's not about defending his being gay. That's about Steven Crowder being a filthy piece of shit. Now, uh, yeah. Carlos Maza, yeah, obviously, the, the insult is directed at Maza being gay. Fine. That makes it worse. That doesn't make it fucking better. That makes yeah, it the hate speech Ma- that we were talking about. But, no, don't, Maza's don't. thing. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but the, Ma- the point Maza- I want to get to, the, you keep interrupting me. <laughs> The point I want to get to is that this is the same as the shit he was pointing out with Tucker Carlson and Bubba the Love Sponge and with him on Anthony and Opie, calling Crowder an R-rated political shock jock, as though that makes the speech acceptable. If Crowder were to go out and start screaming the N-word on the street corner, that, of course, would finally be something that Donnie Jr., because it would be politically inconvenient to him, wouldn't be able to explain away as being an R-rated political shock jock. But we know the right, the conservatives, the Trump administration have a much lower bar, or a higher bar, rather, I should say, for the amount of hate speech they will allow to be directed at the LGBTQ community, because it's one of the final ones that they can get away with doing hate speech towards without being canceled by their own side because so many Mm. of them are homophobic bigot douchebags who don't care about hate speech towards the lgbtq community yeah and uh, just i was just gonna say like again like all that happened to crowder was he got demonetized which like is not ideal but at the end of the day it is a privilege to be on this platform and that is what the free market that they claim to love is all about it is utterly youtube's decision to decide to demonetize somebody that uses their platform to make money if you don't like the free market why don't you go start your own youtube i know alex jones has one Band.video, go check it out i'm sure you'd be right at home there along with laura loomer and the kent state gun girl yeah, and then I mean, we 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 move. <laughs> God, what a person! I, know. <laughs> I, so I have Stop fun me stories in the mid. I'm a member of a Facebook group that she joined because we we you know I'm a member of a weird Facebook group. It's one of the only things I go to Facebook for, where it's a bunch of a lot of us normal lefty type people, and then a mix because it it started out of a friend group, right? And so it, it eventually got a whole bunch of 
the shitbags, the right-wing assholes, because it became very fun to mock those people. And those people would take it. They'd come in, and, you know, if they couldn't take it, they'd leave. They often do leave. But, you know, so, like, this group spends a lot of time inviting those sort of shitbags into the group just for the insanity of what... It's sort of like a stand-back-and-watch-the-craziness type of enjoyment. But the Kent State gun girl, Caitlin Bennett, joined for all of 10 minutes and left the group (laughs) because someone in the group knew her and invited her. She was there for 10 minutes, and then boom, she's out. Fun stuff. (laughs) She did not hack it. We we get some weird statistics in the next bit where I'm just going to Before we get to that, I do want to bring up one thing that stuck out to me before we get to the statistics you're talking about. Because he writes this, quote, In other words, if what you say hurts the left's feelings, pack your bags. As far as the online giants are concerned... The right is always wrong. And what that is, is like I mentioned before, that is implicitly recognizing that homophobic slurs are part of being the right. That's true. Because he's hand-waving away the lispy queer comment that Crowder made. Because that's just apparently, to Don Jr., the right. That's what the right is. And I don't disagree with him on that point. That is what the right is. I, I don't think that was the worst thing he said about him either. Not at all. And I didn't take as much time as I probably should have to see what else Crowder said, but I was not going to watch a fucking Stephen Crowder YouTube video. It's probably demonetized still, though, so at least <laughs> you have so. that knowledge. Um, so anyway, the, the statistics, which is my favorite, it's the survey conducted by Quillette, which <laughs> yeah. is a great fucking start. Uh, Professor Richard Hanania of Columbia University, of all places, the... This is the other thing. They always seem to think that universities are exclusively the domain of the left, which is just, I mean, maybe largely true in some subjects, but there definitely are a mix. Dude, I went I went there. to like, UC Berkeley and I had a class taught by a fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Yeah, isn't that dude that was in Dinesh's documentary that was like, oh, Hitler did some good things. Yeah, there were fuck, in, he had fucking he, conservative he professors in his shit, right? And they're at shitty universities. Yeah. But no, he was at Berkeley. No, no, no. That, so that, that guy was actually, he's on the left. That's the guy Dinesh tricked into being in the documentary, remember? Uh, That's the guy who no, hates Dinesh. That, yeah. yeah, okay, okay, okay. Um, anyway, he, so he said, uh, out of the 22 prominent political commentators who had been banned from Twitter during 2005 to 2017, which is, let's like, one a year. First of all, which is not very much. Maybe also, two I'd like to point, point out that they have said prominent political commentators, and I'd like to see how they quantify that yeah, statement without without for this totally unbiased survey that they're doing. Yeah, so a, a whopping twenty-one of them were supporters of my father. Okay, first of all, from two thousand and five to two thousand and seventeen, twenty-one of so uh, that, that that math doesn't <laughs> add up. Also, then he goes. And you can tell this is where he got his MBA from Wharton. (laughs) If we extrapolate from those few people to the wider internet, this could mean that over 95% of the time when Twitter... So you know when N equals 22, you can really extrapolate the statistics. (laughs) Even polls are like a thousand people. And they say that that's not representative enough. And he's done it with 22 people. Oh, there's another poll coming up at the end of this chapter that's even better. That's even better than the 23. <laughs> it's I asked myself whether I like myself and the answer was no. So uh, that's um, yeah, Don so that, Jr.'s that's morning weird. affirmation right there. 
<laughs> that's weird and then we get into this weird argument about platforms versus publishers which like if you understand even the most basic law which is what i understand the most basic law then a platform is not a publisher in any way and every platform has the right to say what it allows on its platform and what it does not allow on its platform a publisher normally pays somebody to write something and then that's why they publish those things. Whereas platforms allow anyone to write as long as they don't say certain things. And that is the difference. And also, there are many platforms. There is not a monopoly on platforms. For example, you can go to Parlor, <laughs> where there are many Nazis. Yes, Parlor, that's Nazi it. haven. That's, uh, that's all I have to say on this chapter. I'm closing my Haven of free now. speech, Parlor. Where, uh, oh God, just the, the last couple of days of Ted Cruz, Matt Gates, all the shitbags encouraging people to go to Parlor. And you know they're not on fucking Parlor because they're still tweeting every goddamn day. They're just yeah, telling people no, to go there's there. There's no libs to trigger. There's no libs to trigger on Parlor. Exactly, because that's what they're really after, which is ridiculous. But like you mentioned, the whole thing about platform publisher, that's just follow, that's just people who are non-lawyers pretending they, they can read the law. And, and if you aren't a lawyer or aren't in law school like myself, don't try and read the law. Uh, it's usually a bad idea. Well, also, Go to a lawyer. I mean, the, the, thing, the, the thing is also, like, it is people who are lawyers actively obfuscating on what it the is. law is. Like, Ted, Ted, Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz yes. does that. That's yeah. exactly who did. So Ted Cruz in that, I don't remember who, I think it was the Jack Dorsey, um, the, when Jack Dorsey was before uh, Congress, when, when Ted Cruz did the whole, are you a platform, it must have been Facebook, are you a platform or a publisher bullshit? That's a misunderstanding of Section 203 of the, or 230 of the Communications Act. I don't remember which section it is. Because the real distinction and what's been borne out through the case law is, is the platform actually doing the speech or is the speech happening on their platform? That's the distinction. Yeah. And this bullshit platform publisher nonsense, that's, that has nothing to do with the real situation. And all it is about is the platform's liability for speech that is made on their platform. So if someone is defamed on their platform, can the platform be sued? Right. So it, it's yeah. all it's all nonsense that they're putting out there. Um, in no way is Twitter the speaker when Donnie Jr. tweets out his hate speech. So Twitter can't be sued for that. Yeah. Even if they I decide to you, take but, down but, hate speech, they're still not yeah. the speaker just because they're trying to limit the amount of hate speech on their platform. Yeah. But also, like, you can't sue the New York Times for something that happens in the comments section of an article. Exactly. Because that that's not something that the New York Times controls, whereas the publisher part of the New York Times, they control that. So you could sue them for, like, if I'm understanding well, Even if the New York Times had a system whereby they took down uh, comments with racial slurs or comments, you know, that said outrageous conspiracies and things, they still wouldn't be liable for the shift that was left up. They wouldn't be because yeah. they're not making that speech. Someone else is making that speech. No, that, that, that's, yeah, exactly. But for the end of this okay. chapter, the very last page, we get the claim that Jack Dorsey admitted, which I talked about earlier, that uh, Twitter had blocked its users from accessing about 600,000 accounts, which an extremely disproportionate number of those accounts, Donnie says, belong to conservatives. And I already talked about why that happened, and it doesn't make that much crazy sense. But leading out of that, what we get is this wonderful Wonderful statement at the end of the chapter, which I will, it's the last paragraph, so I will read it. Read it. In its entirety. Read that shit, Kevin. This is talking about a recent study where he says, quote, think about it. If they can minimize the president of the United States, or at least try, what can they do to you? Recently, an expert on the subject, remember that expert on the subject part, estimated that somewhere between 2.5 million and 10 million voters had been swayed to Hillary by big tech's tactics during the 2016 election. 
There goes the popular vote. Make no mistake, they did it before, and they're going to do it again. As long as the outrage machine is still operating, it's never going to stop. Now, I told that's the end of the chapter. I told you to hang on to that expert on the subject line there. Because the expert on the subject that he's talking about is a guy named Robert Epstein, who has a long-running feud with Google, uh, going back to oh, 2012 okay. when Google placed security links on its web, his web uh, security warning rather on links to his website. Now, why did they do that? Because his site was serving malware to people who went to the site. Ah, good. Very yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. How did you find this? Because this, you'll be it's... shocked to know. This was not in the footnotes <laughs> or the end notes. There were th- you, you in know total, there were three footnotes for this chapter. I, I wrote, this must be the least cited chapter of the book. And then when I went back, it was not. It was yes. not. Election night has one citation. Not your grandfather's Democrat party about how the Democrat party isn't the same as it used to be. Has two citations. And so does class warfare, which also has two citations. So I was like, there is no way that there is any any chapter with less than three citations and boy was i wrong <laughs> it's so good so i did find this by a lot of googling basically i had to put in a bunch of words that had i just did a, a random google search with like hillary 2.5 million twitter you know shit like that and i found it because what this is is donald trump a couple months ago well i guess this is later than that uh, maybe eight nine months ago now tweeted out that a new study had come out showing that uh, uh, social media had swayed, or I think it was Google in specific he named, had swayed 2.5 million to 10 million voters over to Hillary. And he used this to claim that the Russian election meddling didn't do anything. So this study is by, like I mentioned, this guy named Robert Epstein, who is a psychiatrist. Now, expert on the subject of social media, psychiatrist. I'm not going to say that psychiatrists can't have any expertise on the subject of what might cause people to react in certain ways to things they see online. I think there's probably a large amount of the tech part missing there. And I also see some problematic things in that the fact that this study, which he did, had a total of 92 participants and which has been completely panned by people who have Ah, taken a look at it as being highly problematic, to use words that Donnie Jr. sprinkled throughout this chapter. Uh, And it's basically based on his outrage and hatred of Google. (laughs) About what it seems to me. This guy has an axe to grind that Google wouldn't let him serve malware onto users of his website. And so he is putting out this bullshit study uh, claiming that 2.6 to 10 million voters were swayed by Google. It's a conspiracy theory. It's nonsense. Yeah, it's bullshit. It's hilarious. (sighs) So Benedict. All right. That was a long chapter. That was 20 pages. It that was, was longer than, than what we've had in the last couple of chapters. They've been 10, yeah, 15-ish. Yeah. We, we, you know, we got to stretch a little bit as we're going through this. I do, yeah. But we know, at the same time, like always, we learned nothing from that chapter. <laughs> Except, of course, we got an introduction to this, the outstanding portmanteau, Fautrage, which I am very excited <laughs> to see throughout the next chapter. But, Benedict, I will ask you, rather than asking whether uh, we learned anything... No. <laughs> You, I didn't give you your usual spot to put the no in because I didn't ask you. <laughs> so you had to find a spot. I like that. I found somewhere. Yeah, it's good. When the Twitter mob that Donnie Jr. thinks exists finally comes to cancel and shadow ban us, you and me, what tweet will it be for? 
Well, I know for me personally, having now said the word photoage at least seven times, <laughs> I think for me, it will be the 133 tweet thread that I do <laughs> on how everyone that has ever said or thought the word photoage can go and fuck themselves <laughs> in a variety of different ways. Ooh, variety. Are you going to, 280 tweets, you're going to list all those varieties? Every single variety. Okay. And it, and it's Kevin, gonna, what will they cancel you for? And, it, and it's going to relate back to daddy's sauce, right? <laughs> probably probably for me for me what they're yep. finally going to cancel me for is when i i inevitably lose it um and put out that single tweet that one tweet not a thread rather that one tweet that uh, in fact ketchup does not belong on a hot dog <laughs> oh mine's gonna be what what, what is it Hot dogs are sandwiches. <laughs> whatever okay, that's whatever that stupid fucking argument we got. That's still up yeah. for the patrons. If you want to hear us argue about ketchup on hot dogs and whether it's a sandwich, I know that patron only is still up from the old episodes on the patron only feed. It is a sandwich. All right, bye. <laughs> okay, fine. So with that, that's it. That's it for the episode. We're so we're a little scatterbrained here at the end of the episode this week. Uh, but uh, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you can't get enough of us, remember... You can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. Become a patron for as little as $2 an episode for patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, drawings to win our copies of the books we read, and more. I don't know why I did that inflection, but yeah. You really did. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons, including our brand-new patrons, Clowrung the Deceiver. You know the reference? No. No. It's Tolkien. It's Tolkien reference. Dragon, oh, cool. the first dragon. I like that. I won't. I won't claim that I knew that off the top of my head. I did have to Google it, but it's, it's the, the cool. first dragon. I like yeah. that. Danielle, Big Easy Blasphemy, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, AJ Brantley, Becky Scott Fairley, Taru Takanan, Emily Burke, and Skeptical Seven. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, I'll look down and whisper, "No." Goodbye. Goodbye. Podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.